Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Lehigh Valley with Love podcast. We partnered up with Lehigh Valley Passport to History to talk about some winter traditions in the Lehigh Valley. So we hope you enjoy what you're about to hear, which was recorded Facebook Live. So be sure to check out Lehigh Valley Passport to History on Facebook and also lbhistory.org. Thank you again for including us in this and look for a couple new ones in a couple months. Hello and welcome to the Lehigh Valley Passport to History Winter History Series. The goal of this is to bring Valley history right into the comfort of your living room or fire tablet or wherever you're watching this uh, during these days of continued social distancing. We're going to be tuning in live every at six o'clock on every second Thursday this winter. So gather around and get ready for some interesting stories. We're going to we think you're really going to like these first few. Lehigh Valley Passport to History is a partnership of 35 and growing historic sites and resources in and around Pennsylvania's Lehigh and Northampton counties. The group aims to connect you with historical sites to see and things to do throughout our region. All listed in one spot at Lehigh Valley or lvhistory.org. If you'd like more information or if you're an organization that would like to join, uh, again, hit up that link, lvhistory.org. Hello, I am your host, George Wacker of Lehigh Valley with Love Media. I encourage you to check us out online as well. We do a lot of fun things locally like this, which is a lot of fun. Uh, we've also, we run the Lehigh Valley with Love podcast, which won the best podcast by Lehigh Valley Style. And we were recently involved with the Bethlehem Christmas Tree Lighting. And we have our Christmas Tree Toss for Charity coming up on December 19th, provided, and we're going to talk about this during this video, um, with the recent announcement that was made by Governor Wolf, provided that that is something that we're able to do. But we're here tonight to talk about some fun history. And I am joined by Susan Ellis, Executive Director of the Moravian Historical Society, Rachel Kresge, there's Lincoln as well, who's getting into the holiday spirit. Rachel Kresge, the Director of Education and Programs from Quiet Valley Living Historical Farm. And Terry Burgle, Executive Director, Northampton County Historical and Genealogical Society. If you're new to this, hold on a second. Lincoln, come on. We're on camera. Please. If you're new to this, we give everybody a little bit of time to um, talk about what a little bit of history that they uh, want to talk about. And we're going to ask some questions. Please ask questions in the comments. You can see that this is clearly live and a lot of fun things can happen. So I'm not sure how she's going to follow this up, but I'm going to bring in Susan Ellis. Thank goodness. I, it was funny because we joked about this right before we came on. I'm like, he won't do that. And then he just did it again. So thank you, Lincoln, for embarrassing me. Um, on our program. So Susan, welcome and thank you, thank you for coming on tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. So um, I wanted to have you introduce what we had just said, have you introduce yourself, talk a little bit about, um, you know, the Raven Historical Society. And of course, we know that you had the whole idea here was to talk about the event that was coming up. And, uh, you know, that might be something that may need to change. And we can talk about that a little bit later. Right. But right. we're interested in some of the history here. So I am going to let you take it for a little bit. Well, thanks. Yeah, so we we're talking about holiday traditions. And of course, uh, the Moravians have lots of holiday traditions. I'm sure you've seen the Moravian stars hanging from people's porches. Um, you might be familiar with the love feast that happens in Moravian congregations. 
um, where, you know, typically a, a piece of uh, Moravian sugar cake is shared. Maybe you've had a chance to try some Moravian mints. But uh, what I actually really want to talk to you about tonight is, is one of the more um, interesting Moravian traditions, and that's the tradition of the holiday puts. Um, I know you're saying, what's a puts, right? Um, so a, a puts, that's not a putz, a, put, a puts is uh, a miniature landscape display that really that tells the story of the nativity. Um, it's a little bit more than that, though. These, these can become very elaborate and very large. Um, <clears throat> the tradition dates back to the mid-18th century, um, and it's really just a way to tell the, the story of the birth of Jesus. Um, the word putz itself comes from the German word putzen, which means to decorate or clean, loosely translated. So American Moravians started using this word um, putz and, uh, it, and it, you know, they, they created these, as I said, elaborate Christmas scenes in their homes. Um, and so families would construct the, the putzes uh, and, and the tradition just kind of grew and grew. Um, traditionally, uh, as I said, they were, they were created in their, in their homes. Um, and it was a project for the whole family to get involved in. Children would go out and collect the greens, um, moss would be collected, bark, rocks, you know, any, any kind of natural trimmings. Um, would, would, they, would they ever go to each other's homes? Like, I would imagine if I had a puts in my home, I would want to go and see what my neighbors were doing. I would, absolutely. I would, I would do yeah, absolutely. I mean, you spend a lot of time putting these together. And so they would prepare these and then they would go putzing to view other people's um, uh, displays. And, and, you know, here in Nazareth, we actually have a, a little bit of a local legend. Um, her name is Jenny Trine. And she um, started making her first puts in 1908. There's, there's a nice picture of her. And when I said elaborate, you, if you see that image, you get an idea of just how uh, elaborate this was. This was created in her living room. And, uh, you know, you can see it's many layers. Um, so that was be the beginning of a tradition in 1908 that lasted more than 60 years. Um, and she created a new puts every year. Um, so... It included lights, sound effects, the narration. So it really told the full story of the birth of Jesus. So everything that we're looking at there, I'm kind of looking, you, they're all individual ones. I can kind of see there's an arc. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so those are and, all. And it was a different display every year. And that's just one piece of it. That's just one corner of her room. So, you know, throughout the decades, this, this grew and grew. And, you know, to the point where, in Jenny's case, it took about 40 minutes for, for people to, to view um, her displays. It was quite a production. And she's really interesting because she was never really, never really formally trained, um, incredibly talented. Um, she is what we would probably call a naive artist, a uh, folk artist. Um, her putzes were really primitive in style. Um, and one of the, you know, the most fun facts is that she would just take everyday objects and uh, create spectacular things with them. Um, her puts collection has over 500 pieces. And is that, um, is that something that people can see? Well, I actually have one right here. A, a, a whole piece. That's one of my faves. 
Um, I don't, I, this is probably not the best way to show it. So this is just a little display, one part of it. And when I mentioned she, she found things around the house, my favorite thing, I don't know if you can see the, the dome of this church here. It's actually a juicer. <laughs> she painted and put together. So she really was just looking for things around her home. Absolutely. She, you know, she would find just about anything and turn it into something. So very creative. So what what became, I mean, you, you say you have a piece of, of that. What became of all of that? I would imagine it's a lot of stuff. Right. As I mentioned, over 500 pieces, they are in our collection at, um, here at the okay. American Historical Society. And uh, oh, so this year we have a, a display that includes part of her, her um, hoods. Okay. Yeah. And so, are there any other, I mean, I know that some of the things, uh, when we talk about the holidays with the Moravians, are sugar cake. Yeah. You know, is that, is that something that's very popular still? Oh, I know it is in my house, at least. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's very popular. Um, yeah, the, the, a number of churches still make it. Mm -hmm. okay. So, I, I know it, I had mentioned this earlier on, and, and I know that you, you had events planned. So, I don't know what you can say to that. Like, what, what are we looking forward to now? Well, yeah, so we're, you're, you're referencing the governor's latest um, uh, right. guidelines. And sure. um, so we put together a, an exhibit this year uh, called Christmas in Miniature. And it's, um, it's in the 1740 Gray Cottage here on our property. Um, it's a wonderful display that includes a whole range of our collections, starting with the, the earliest uh, Morris puts from the from, uh, and then right on up through um, some more contemporary ones. And, uh, you know, we, we thought we were doing things very safely. We have individual time tickets so that when you um, reserve a free ticket for a particular time, you're the only one in there viewing it. Um, but I'm not sure if we'll be able to continue that now with the latest guidelines. So we'll see what oh, yeah. we can do there. So, so people just, I mean, I guess to, to stay tuned, to hear from you. Yeah. Historical side. Yeah. Maybe we'll extend the, the exhibit, you know, past uh, January into January a little bit. So stay tuned. Well, yeah, I, I want to see what else she has made with household, household items into a putt. <laughs> It'd be fun. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, Susan, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate that. It's, it's fascinating. And it's interesting, too, to, to go putzing. It's kind of like what we do now when we, we drive and we go around and look at everybody's Christmas lights. It's really the same type of it, you know, that's, a, that's a good analogy, yeah. So, yeah. you know, I mentioned that she, she did this for about 60 years. We estimate that she, she welcomed about 50,000 people into her home over the years. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? And, and you asked about where you can see Putzes now, you know, a lot of the, so that, that tradition of opening up your homes has kind mm -hmm. of gone away. Um, sure. It's just, yeah. But a lot of the Moravian congregations uh, put on very um, beautiful, elaborate displays. Sure. Um, of course, um, many of those are virtual this year, but um, you, can, you can certainly check out the, the Putz trail and, and see some of those. Okay. Well, and where can people find out information just if they're, they're, interested regardless of anything sure uh, our website is, yeah our website is moravianhistory.org moravianhistory.org yep okay susan yep. thank you so much yeah. i appreciate it thank you and we'll talk to you soon i'm sure great okay all right moving on here um th this is fun for me for our next guest 
uh, from Quiet Valley Living Historical Farm, Rachel Kresge. I'm going to bring your, I hope you're ready. You're probably, Rachel, Hi. how are you? <laughs> how are you? <laughs> Great. So, um, Quiet Valley, you're in Stroudsburg. Yes. Correct? It's fun because I, when we talked about doing this video earlier on, I'm like, I, I can't wait to talk to them because I went on a fourth grade class trip. Like, I think many people who come to Quiet Valley have done, and I still remember it to this day as, you know, how many class trips you go on. That's one that sticks out to me. So I think this is something to what Quiet Valley is all about. That's everyone's reaction when I tell them where I work. I remember going on a field trip there. So it's really great to see the impact that we've had on little kids and how they remember it later. So before we get into, I'm really excited about this and I'm not going to give it away, but before we get into what you're going to talk about, can you give us a little bit of information on uh, Quiet Valley Living Historical Farm? Yeah, so we're located in Stroudsburg. Um, we tell the story of the Deppers, who were a family that moved uh, to the area from Germany in 1765. Uh, and they slowly built the farm and expanded on uh, their initial one-room dugout house uh, to where right. we are today. And they lived there for about 150 years. Uh, so we have a lot of fun looking at uh, how they changed things and what a German farm looked like versus we're about a mile from Main Street, two miles from Main Street. Uh, so how what was going on there contrasted what was going on in, in town at the same time. Yeah, this was so interesting to me. Like when we went there, we're like, oh, do these people live like this all the time? It, it, like and, right. So um, we're going to talk about, and, and again, I don't want to give it away, even though I'm really interested in doing it. And I have some graphics to bring up as we do. But I wanted, you talked about uh, your, the German heritage, and this is where this story comes from. So if I could give it to you for a little bit, and uh, I want to sit back and listen as well. Sure. Uh, so I'm going to ask you all to kind of use your imagination. Uh, so you're going to picture this. You're 10 years old and it's about 1850 on Christmas Eve in rural Pennsylvania. Nice mod sent you and wings, probably five or six of them off to bed and you should be asleep. But instead, you're laying awake waiting. You hear the fire popping downstairs and Ma and Pa talking in hushed tones. In the distance, you hear the clanging of cowbells. Uh, and the cowbells slowly get closer to the house, and then there's a rapping on the windows and a knock at the door. Your excitement's building, because you, the oldest of your siblings, knows what's going on. Aunt Ma calls you all downstairs. Nothing's wrong, but the Belschnickel has come for his yearly visit. Uh, this Pennsylvania German Christmas character visited families from farmhouse to farmhouse, rewarding good children and frightening and punishing the disobedient. As you and your siblings make your way down the steps, you see him. He's dressed in tattered clothing and smells faintly of fish. He carries a few switches, and silently you pray that he believes you've been good. So while the exact customs of, these, of this tradition vary from community communi to community, uh, it can be found nearly everywhere that German families settled. Uh, so generally, a neighboring farmer, either a male or a female, dressed in an outlandish costume with a tattered coat made of furs and a few switches or branches from small saplings in their hand, traveled throughout the community. Uh, now, have you been good or have you been bad? He asks, uh, expecting a truthful reply. Uh, if you've been good, usually you're rewarded with a treat. Uh, it's candy or some nuts kept safely in the pocket of that coat. I don't know if I would want to eat something that came out of the coat. I've seen our Belschnickel's coat. Uh, but if you've been bad, you can expect to deliver him a song or a poem and receive a rap from his switch. 
So while the origins of the Belschnickel are not entirely clear, his Pennsylvania German form most likely comes from Peltznickel, a boy who accompanied St. Nicholas in the Rhine provinces of Germany. Uh, and that's where the family that settled Quiet Valley came from. Upon Peltznickel's arrival, children who knelt and said their prayers nicely were rewarded, while the mothers of those more troublesome were given switches to keep them in line. And Peltznickel's visit usually continued until Christmas Eve, uh, when St. Nicholas arrived with the Christmas gifts. And then this, trans this tradition transported with German immigrants coming to America, uh, and the character's appearance took on the literal meaning of his name, Nicholas in furs. Uh, so Peltz means furs, and Nickel is the German form of Nicholas. Uh, so while the tradition of the Belsnickel faded into the 20th century, reminders of his visits uh, remained through the late 19th and early 20th century with depictions of Santa Claus uh, holding a bunch of sticks. Uh, which resembles the Belschnickel switches. Uh, and still, this Pennsylvania German character is held proud in the memories of many Pennsylvania Dutch traditions. Uh, and it was someone that uh, was talked about often in my household growing up. Uh, and I know for a fact, he does visit us at Quiet Valley on normal years, and he stops by during our old time Christmas to reward the good children with a piece of honey candy uh, and ask those who have been bad to entertain him with a song. <laughs> that was great. I... I was trying to get you to laugh a little bit, and I think I succeeded. For people, who aren't aware that, for people who aren't aware of that joke, that's a character from The Office who had dressed up in that, you know, it was the same Belschnickel, who's also known as Krampus. Um, and so do you, do you have any sort of um, celebrations around that, or is it something that isn't really... The Burke Insurance Agency is family owned and operated since 1986. What else happened in 1986? Haley's Comet flew by, and that was pretty cool. The Burke Insurance Agency is located at 3446 Freemansburg Avenue in Bethlehem Township, and they represent Erie, Grange, and Progressive Insurance Companies. Tom and Kathleen are some of the nicest people in the Lehigh Valley, for real. They actually get to know their customers and care for them as if they were part of their own family. It's how a small business is supposed to be. They're also community-minded and support many nonprofits, which they are very passionate about. Give them a call at 610-691-3743 or find them on Facebook. Everything, again, is in our show notes. Don't wait around like Haley's comment called Burke Insurance today. Around the Belschnickel, uh, so yeah. a community member, oh, he or she um, was mm -hmm. a community member who uh, kind of worked with uh, the families to visit the kids throughout the Christmas season. So most right. often it was on Christmas Eve, uh, the kids, he, in Pennsylvania right. German customs, he wore sort of masks so the kids couldn't see who he was. And uh, he would come in and just kind of frighten them. I, I think it's so... I, I don't know about you, but I personally, like, I've heard so much more about Krampus in the last, like, five years or so. It seems like that tradition has become, um, like, commercially successful. I see a lot of places to buy. You can go to DemasiHome.com, one of our partners. They sell a lot of Krampus stuff. Um, but do you, have you seen that? I mean, it's interesting that I, I didn't really notice it before. Um, I haven't seen it. Krampus, yes, Belschnickel, no, um, okay. but definitely, uh, like, from the point on the office forward, it's definitely more a well-known character. Like, I can say Belschnickel anywhere now, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and people, at least uh, they don't no look at you really sideways. Most yeah. people have had an eye. They know what I'm talking about. What what's in the difference? Because yeah. I, I know I know them. Is there a difference? Is it is it a um, just an area where the legend comes from? Uh, they're very similar characters. No, yeah, they're very similar characters. Um, I'm not exactly sure where Krampus's okay. origins come from. I know Belschnickel's origins come from uh, the Peltznickel, uh, which would have been this the area of Germany that these Pennsylvania Dutch families would have immigrated from. Sure. That's so fun. I was so excited all day, like putting all those together for this moment. So no, I, I really appreciate it. That's a lot of fun. Um, so we had talked the same with Susan regarding some upcoming events. And we know I we know that you had your Christmas event coming up. Now, is that something that you're going to be forced to cancel or? Most likely. Yeah. So the bell pickle was already not visiting us this year. We had told people he was quarantining and not able to attend. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the looks at the weekend upcoming, um, we're probably going to have to uh, at least seriously reevaluate how we're doing it. So we have made no permanent decisions yet, but we're keeping an eye on what's going on and sending people so, to our website for now. Sure. Well, that's what I was just going to say. If people, you know, we're in a position where um, we can find out some more information, what's the best thing for them to do? Is it to visit your website? Yeah, which is quietvalley.org. Uh, and we'll have updates for old time Christmas right there on our homepage. Um, for now, uh, we were encouraging online ticket sales and I've stopped those for the time being. So sure. We'll see what okay. happens. But you can find you can also find out some history on here. You know, it, yeah. you can go uh, through all other and events that are going on. Uh, we um, have been hosting uh, events for homeschool students uh, throughout the, the fall and winter, and so there's all sorts of information on there that that's beyond just our Christmas event. I, I, my daughter is four, and I have to admit, I if she doesn't get a uh, class trip there sometime, I'm going to have to take her myself. So, or, or I'll just take her myself anyway. Okay, well, absolutely. Well, <laughs> Rachel, thank thank you so much for coming on. That was a lot of fun, um, and thank, thank you for you for, for educating us a little more. Thank you very much. Second here. All right, moving on. Sorry, just give me a moment. Moving from Krampus to, I don't even know how to segue this. We're going to talk about the Peace Candle, one of the Lehigh Valley's most prized um, attractions. And to do this, I'm going to be bringing in uh, Carrie Siegel, or I'm sorry, Carrie Bargo, who's the executive director of the Northampton County Historical and Genealogical Society. Hello. Hello. Hi, George. Hi, everyone. How are you? I, I'm great after learning a little bit more about the Belschnickel. That was um, a lot of fun. I didn't I didn't know, like, I knew there was a difference, but I wasn't quite, I'm going to have to, like, Google it a little more to find out exactly where. Well, I can, in fact, connect the peace candle to Belschnickel for do you, it. if you want me to do it. Please. All right, folks. Hello. I am actually broadcasting from my office at the Siegel Museum. Um, I'm looking over my shoulder here and I'm looking out my window and I can see our beautiful peace candle lit up. Uh, the lights are all over town. The Easton trolley's outside. Uh, Big Easton Brass just walked by and was making some beautiful music. So if you hear some of that, it's, it's pretty festive in downtown Easton right now. But I am actually part of Northampton County Historical and Genealogical Society and the Siegel Museum is a part of the society. Um, of course, we are the county's historical society, but 
Since we are in downtown Easton, I thought what better tradition to talk about than the beloved peace candle. It's a little more modern, but there is actually a story leading back into the roots all the way back to the founding era of Easton and some of our traditions here. Now, most of us, all of us, I should say, know Bethlehem as our beloved Christmas city at this point. Um, they took on that name in 1937 officially, and we know people flock there every year to visit um, their incredible sites and their historic places. But what a lot of people do not remember is that in the 19th century, for years, Easton was the town in the Lehigh Valley that was known for incredibly elaborate Christmas displays, actually some of the first Christmas displays in the country. So all throughout the 19th century, families decked out their houses with evergreen boughs and ornaments and lights. Um, of course, the Christmas trees were there. The businesses in Easton would put on elaborate Christmas displays in their windows. There were lights on the bridge on um, Northampton Street. We had parades. There was music. We have very active tradition of social clubs in Easton, and they would put on events for people all over the city. And of course, the churches would do performances for the children um, and services. So Easton was a place that was known for Christmas and holiday decorations. And actually on Christmas Eve, our streets were flooded with Belschnickels and something that was called a fantastical. So the Belschnickels would come out and they would walk around town and they would visit some of the children. And the Fantasticals were men and young men dressed up in incredible costumes. And they would be out and about being merry in the streets or they might knock on your door and ask if you'd like some entertainment and they would entertain you. So that is what Easton was known as for many, many years. What, what, what time... What time period would that have been? This would have been all throughout the, eight, the 19th century. Okay. So Easton is actually rumored to have had one of the first Christmas trees, if not the first Christmas tree that was erected in 1816. But you actually had um, all these traditions going on into the early 20th century, but they started to fade away after a while for various reasons. And it got to the point in about the 1930s, 1940s, where people missed those traditions. So it's quite well known that a woman named Mrs. Hutton Hughes wrote into the newspaper and she urged the town officials in the town to bring back the Christmas lights and Christmas displays to sort of bring some sort of festivity back into town that they felt was, was much needed. And a woman named Virginia Purdy actually suggested that we erect a giant candle in historic Center Square, which is right in downtown Easton. It was the site of one of the first readings of the Declaration of Independence. Um, we had some very famous treaties that were signed here after the French and Indian War. Um, it was also the sign of our first courthouse. And in 1900, the town erected what is called the Soldiers and Sailors Monument, which was actually a monument dedicated to the soldiers who fought in the Civil War. So the idea was to erect a large candle that would be a symbol of hope for the community. Um, 
I'm sure you're not surprised to hear that it was a big topic of conversation. Um, there were many people for and many people against the candle. Um, some of the no, people who no were way. not so excited at the idea of having a giant candle in Center Square um, felt that it wasn't historic. They felt that it might be ugly or tacky. They felt that it would be disrespectful to cover that Civil War monument with a giant candle. They also asked, of course, why would we want to erect a giant candle in the middle of downtown Easton? What is that going to do for the town? Um, but on the other hand, there was obviously a great deal of support behind this. And I think very movingly and touchingly, some of the builders and designers who were involved in constructing the very first peace candle were veterans of wars, obviously World War II. Um, the Korean War was going on when the candle was first erected in the square. And I think they really grabbed onto that idea of doing something that would honor um, our soldiers and our veterans, as well as be a symbol of peace that they thought that the world really needed. So obviously, the folks who were for the candle um, prevailed. They designed the candle. Um, raised the money all from local businesses and local uh, community members, helped raise the funds. And then in December in 1951, they erected the first candle and had a ceremony in Center Square. The first candle was actually red and it was about 75 feet high. And what I think very fittingly ended up happening, they had a crowd of 500 people and they invited um, folks from different denominations to come and speak. So there was a Protestant minister, there was a Catholic priest, and there was also a Jewish rabbi. And I'd like to quickly read everybody a quote from Rabbi Thurman, because I think his words are really quite beautiful. Um, and he said that the peace candle represented three things, and I'll have to backtrack a little bit. They did not call it the peace candle initially. They referred to it as the Christmas candle initially. But he said that the candle represented warmth and blessed togetherness in a cold world. He said it was a light to brighten the darkness and ignorance of the world. And he said that it was cheerfulness for an unhappy and sick world. And they also referred to it as a giant symbol of peace and good citizenship and of the unity that we need in this country and without which we can't survive. And I think that's something that is very appropriate for the times we're going through today. So I think we can all enjoy that sentiment. Um, so the candle was up and suddenly this, this controversial candle is now, it's become a beloved, beloved tradition at this point. Um, it, it is. It well, I was going to say, it's so interesting. You said, like, with Bethlehem, you know, having the name Bethlehem being the Christmas. But you know, Easton has always had that. Even we talk about the Christmas tree controversy. Well, I think it's fun that there is one. I, I've always thought, I've been told that the first Christmas tree was um, erected in Easton. But we don't, we don't have any proof of that? Or, or We do not have proof of that. And I never want to go against what, what our beloved mayor says. Because he... There he is. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going against him either. If he says it, I'm on board. He says I'm on board. So there is actually record that there was a Christmas tree in Easton in 1816, and that source was actually an article in the New York Times back in the 1970s. But I also owe some allegiance to our beloved 
librarian at the society mm-hmm. who passed away when she was 103 years old. She oh, was wow. a legend in this community. Wow. And when she was asked by reporters whether this was true, she said, that's false. There's absolutely no proof. So... <laughs> I, you know what? I think it's, it's if there's nobody else really claiming it, I, I don't see why it's not a good thing to go with. Yeah, downtown Easton, for people who haven't been there so far this year, is you know has been fantastic with all the things that they've been doing outdoor skating rink and yeah. and everything. You just said you, you're hearing music outside of your uh, your office right now. Yeah, you know I'm incredibly impressed ever since. Ever since the candle's been erected since the since the fifties, it's become a beloved tradition. People joke about it sometimes. They say yeah. it's the giant wickless wonder. It's hundred and six feet tall. Look at this thing though. I mean, come on. I, much, I I do my fair share of making fun of things, but this is a it's beautiful. And honestly, with the, the quote that you just said, it, it really shows why some of these monuments were erected in the first place. You know, I, I think it was to, to remind us of things and, you know, that we can look at them and, and, and say, hey, take a minute and take a pause. Uh, and, and I think the Peace Candle does that, too. There's an incredible solidarity that's sort of grown up around the Peace Candle, too, because since it's been up, um, they changed the name to Peace Candle officially, actually, in the Vietnam War. The community members were asking if the candle could stay up, actually, until the end of the war as a sign of peace and solidarity. And they ended up saying no uh, for safety reasons, but they did agree to rename it the Peace Candle. And then again in the Gulf War, um, the Easton Express put out a poll and asked, should we keep the Peace Candle up for the duration of the war to support our, our fighting troops? And this time the city was able to say yes, and it stayed up. They decorated this fence that was all around the candle with yellow ribbons. There have been peace protests there. Um, I think it's it's developed a really incredible, an incredible richness and a really beautiful meaning for the community. Um, and I agree. I think even that area of the Lehigh Valley itself, the, the circle during these times, you know, it has been that that as well. Yeah. And what I really love is that all of those holiday traditions that started back into the 19th century have evolved. Peace Candle Weekend is the weekend when the Peace Candle is lit. And, you know, the, the community, Greater Easton Development Partnership, Easton Main Street Initiative, all of the community groups are out doing all of those things that you saw back in the 19th century for the community, supporting small business, doing things for the kids. Um, everybody is, like you said, George, this year, everybody is soldiering on. I'm looking at an outdoor winter village that's out there. There's an ice rink that was erected for the community this year. And it's, it's just incredibly touching to know that those traditions are, are alive and well in Easton today. Okay. And I know that we have talked a little bit about the governor's recent announcement right before we started this, we weren't aware of that was going to happen. Um, does that change any messaging? Do you want still people to continue to go to lvhistory.org and continue to not only you know, find history throughout the Lehigh Valley? I've learned so much from doing these videos. You know, this has been so much fun. You know, what, is, what do you think the message is, is now that you want to give? Well, I would say to folks, if you are history lovers or if you are just looking for a warm, wonderful community, I mean, keep an eye out for the virtual programs we're going to do with Passport to History. Go to SiegelMuseum.org. We have a whole series of virtual programs we're doing as well. But I would really like to 
um, extend a request to everybody who's watching. We have a giving tree in the Siegel Museum lobby that we set up every year and we collect gifts for our partners and our friends at the Children's Home of Easton um, who take care of, they have quite a number of residents and they have foster placements. So we are going to have to close our museum doors to the public now that we've heard the governor's latest updates, but we will have staff here behind the scenes. So if you would like to donate something to the Children's Home of Easton Kids and support them, please go to our website, look at the events page. We have a list there and I would urge you to please, you know, stop by, buzz the buzzer, bring some donations, or you can even ship them to the museum because even though we have to close, I would love to still be able to give those kids a wonderful holiday. So thank you very, very much. We have that at the, at the bottom there, seagullmuseum.org. Um, I, I'm going to bring everybody back in here quick. I was happy everybody got to stay. So thank you guys so much. This is, this is great. Um, I, I learned a lot. I've, I've got to learn a little bit more of my Belschnickel Krampus history. Um, but I, I think one thing as, as we go forward and as we go, you know, again, into some uncertain times, it, there's a, there's a lot to look forward to. We, we have a lot of good community and we know they're going to be able to support each other. All right. Happy holidays, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Susan, Carrie, Rachel. Thank you, Amanda, for, for setting this up. Thanks so much. Happy holidays. Bye, everybody. Thank you again to Leah Valley Passport to History. Check them out at lvhistory.org. Look for another episode next month. We have some more fun partnership stuff going on with them. And it's always great because they get the guests for me, so I really appreciate it. Uh, and thank you again to Burke Insurance Agency for making this episode possible. Talk to you soon.